podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. With the transfer window officially open, it's time to bring back the real meat of the Anfield Index Transfer Rumor Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Wells. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Tadiwa Chanakira. And Tadiwa, how are you doing? Um, how, how was your weekend last weekend? Yeah, just just a casual weekend. Hey, I don't think there was much on, was there? I don't think there was much on except for, uh, I mean, there were two events that might have happened about an hour and a half apart that were or about, a, you know, about an hour and a half apart that were two goals and a lot, nothing in the middle. But yeah, I mean, that's really about it. <laughs> I think we should talk about the final for a minute, right? It's our first, it's our first chance to really get to talk about it with each other. Uh, you have a, both you and I have very different situations within which we watch the game. You, uh, you, you, um, Live with the enemy, or at least the enemy on that day. And I, I was, you know, I, I run a supporters club, so I was kind of stressed out. And, but I guess, uh, how, how did your girlfriend take it? Quite magnanimously. I, I think obviously you get that upset feeling and, um, very dejected. I mean, but for them, it, it seems like she gave the impression that for them, that, this this is like a once in a lifetime type situation, and I suppose it being like their moment, maybe not necessarily that they expected to win, but more just it allowed them to dream. And we we've seen as Liverpool fans how powerful that can be. So I think um, yeah, that a lot. They've, I think they've taken it a lot better than most people expected them to. Um, and it seems like both sets of fans have gained a lot more respect for each other. After this final, not just in this household, I suppose, but from from a general perspective. So yeah, it's been good. But yeah, there there was there was a bit of envy and je- jealousy you could you could sense from the other side of the couch. But yeah, it's 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 been it's been okay. Yeah, for for me, it was surrounded by uh, the rest of the LFCNY membership, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Got to watch the got to watch the game uh, all ninety minutes of it, standing next to uh, my fellow US Pod uh, host Kev Hegarty. Um, so that, that was, that was pleasant. We had, we have met before and watched the game together before, but it's always nice to watch games with friends. And, uh, the other thing I, I, I do agree with is I did come out of this with a lot more respect for Spurs and Spurs fans. I think, you know, a lot of it is the type of thing where it seems like they, um, they, they, uh, looked for a while like a team most likely to kind of push through of these teams that don't have the super bucks. And we, we surpassed them. And I think that there's a level of, you know, maybe envy from them towards us because, you know, we've just won something. But on the same time, that's a club that's trying to do it in the same exact way we are. And I think that there's a lot to respect there. Just think that we'd probably be in a similar place to them if we didn't build the main stand and actually had rebuilt Anfield, like a new Anfield. Because the outlay of just building a stand versus an entire stadium definitely allowed us to ramp up the commercial uh, revenue from it quicker and actually use that to invest into the on-pitch product. Yeah, I think obviously building a new stadium, is it, it's quite a big thing. It's a, it's a huge financial outlay, as you've mentioned. And the biggest example for that, I suppose, in modern football is Arsenal in the Premier League, where they were so competitive as a team under Wenger at Highbury and then they moved to the Emirates and it seems like maybe the funding in terms of on the pitch wasn't as strong as you'd expect, especially coming up against some of these new, you know, oil clubs. You you have to have some sort of outlay on the pitch. You you can't, you know, rely on purely being I want to say purely being self-sustained. Uh, it, it seems like sort of like the Arsenal model that they've had where only transferred you know, the money for transfers only comes from, you know, outgoing players and maybe you get like a 20 or 30 million K 
kitty on top of that. It seems like you do have to get your money from other areas. And once you've built a stadium, it seems like that money, a lot of the money that comes in is going towards the repayments for that ground. Um, we've seen with Spurs now, they've just moved to a new stadium. And obviously over the last uh, year or so, just over a year or so, they haven't even bought a, a player in. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the stadium had the delays and the costs that were going into there. So it's definitely a huge factor. And I think our owners did a lot of research and are, are, are reaping the rewards of, of some really good good uh, decision-making. Yeah, I, I think I think I agree with that. And uh, a lot of that now, you know, the revenue conversations can start going into uh, a part of the, conver- you know, the, the meat of this podcast the transfer window, a place where a lot of money is spent. And there, there's a lot going on both around Europe and within Liverpool itself. I guess let's start on the continent. Um, the team that beat us in Kiev that started our need for a revenge tour, Real Madrid, um, kind of had a, a year with that was, not kind of, they had a year from, from their recent standard and their expectation that is uh, a significant, significant underachievement based on what they're used to. Uh, I think for them, a big thing has been now trying to rebuild in the post-Ronaldo era after he went to Juve. And I guess the question is, are the two purchases that they've made thus far um, in uh, Luka Jovic and uh, now apparently the completed deal for £88 million for um, a 28-year-old Eden Hazard, are, the, are those the moves that are on the right path? And what other business would you expect that they're going to do this summer? Yeah, I think they've started on the right path. Um, maybe going away from the model of the, this, you know, the pure Galacticos and maybe, and I think Zidane has a lot of influence in that of he wants players that fit into the system that he's going to be playing opposed to necessarily just signing any odd player. And obviously Zidane has wanted, um, Eden Hazard in and around Real Madrid for, quite a number of years now, you know, going as far back as his Lille days. So I think it's it's a player that Zidane can now turn around and say, I finally got my man, and then we'll see how he develops him from there. In terms of Jovic, I think it's just one of those talents that could potentially be a generational talent, that if you're able to get him, you, you just sign him, and then you, 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 work, you can work the kinks in and around that afterwards. Um, in terms of rebuilding after Ronaldo, I think maybe the biggest thing for them is trying to mold a, a team opposed to molding, you know, a, a team based around all the, the, the pieces of a team opposed to being molded around one specific player. So it'll be interesting to see how, how Hazard fits into that, whether he's now considered, you know, the star man or if he's a piece in a bigger puzzle. Um, and then obviously terms of looking about at how they go forward i think they're still looking for you know uh, that center midfielder they've they've been linked with ericsson before um they pissed off spurs with you know this sort of bullish approach that's become pretty uh, renowned with some of the spanish uh, big boys well the two spanish big boys in real madrid and barcelona where they start speaking about your player in the media and and that seemed to rub levy up the wrong way so whether they have to pay a bigger fee for him or it's just blown that deal um, out completely, uh, I guess time will tell. So I think maybe Paul Pogba, we know Zidane and him have a good relationship. That that move seems a lot more likely now that Zidane is staying and seems to be building a, a long-term project once again. Um, and then, yeah, and then we'll see from there. I think they've also been targeting a left-back from... I believe it's, I think it's Mendy from Lyon, if I'm not mistaken. But I know that there's a there's a left back that they're looking to 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 bring in from the French league uh, to take over from Marcelo. So yeah, there, there's a lot of surgery that needs to go into that team. Um, it, it's we know football goes in cycles, and they've come to the end of one of their cycles, and and it's just a rebuilding thing. And then just the last point on the Hazard deal. It seems like that's been a deal that's been in the works for over a year, regardless of whether Zidane was coming in or not. It seems like Hazard was always going to be coming in. So maybe Zidane is more affected to the Paul Pogba type of deals than necessarily the Hazard one. 
Yeah, it's interesting too because uh, you have another rumored target actually who said that he'd like a new challenge yesterday in Christian Eriksen. I guess the question there is if you sign Eriksen and Hazard, how how do they fit together? Um, because it doesn't seem like they have complementary skill sets, but it does seem like they it does, like it seems like they have skill sets that can work together. But it also seems like they both kind of occupy some pretty similar positions sometimes. Although you could probably get away with Hazard much more as a, an actual orthodox winger and Eriksson as a as a number 10. But uh, do you think Eriksson is a player who could be going in that direction as well? Yeah, possibly. I, I, there are only a certain finite amount of clubs that I think can afford Christian Eriksson considering you know how difficult it is to prize a player away from, from Spurs. So regardless of his contract being, uh, I think he's entering the last year of his contract, they're still going to want a pretty penny for him. And going by, obviously he's not necessarily the same levels as Eden Hazard, um, but Hazard was going into the final year of his contract and he's going for a rumored, you know, 88 million. So I think Spurs will be looking to do something similar to that where they're still gaining a high fee for a player that's, on his day, can be really, really good. But yeah, I, I just, in terms of them gelling together, I wonder why they would go for an Ericsson over a Pogba when you've still got the likes of Isco and Asensio in that Real Madrid team. I think stylistically, maybe move away from Ericsson. I don't know if he should be playing as deep as I would imagine he'll play in, in, in that Real Madrid team because I don't see him taking Isco or Asensio's place. I could think of a team in the northwest of England that could use him, and it's not Manchester United or Manchester City. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd, I'd love him because he covers ground, and he'd he'd finally be that uh, he'd be another set ball uh, set ball guy that we need. But I don't I don't think that Liverpool will get him, and we'll get to Liverpool later in the show. Um, speaking of those uh, the Champions League runner up Spurs, um, it, it was pretty. I think it was laid pretty bare by Sunday, and probably their league form for the last four or five months of this season. That um, they're they're a little bit uh, lacking in the midfield, right? So if you look at the Spurs midfield, you have Erickson who might be leaving. You have Deli Ali, he's been very hot and cold. And then probably, and I think this is the indictment of their midfield. Their best midfielder all season was was probably uh, Sissoko. And then you have players like Harry Winks and Eric Dyer and Victor Wanyama, who you know look like they might not necessarily be the best fits for a team with aspira- aspirations. Is what Spurs are for a variety of reasons, but now they've been linked with um, uh, Real Batista's uh, Giovanni Lo Celso and um, Olympic Lyon's Tanguay Ndombele. Um, Ndombele, I think, would actually be a great Jurgen Klopp player, too. There seems to be a theme here as far as how I think about players. But um, what, what do you think about that, Spurs actually coming in? Do you think that the injection of quality in midfield could make them jump a level? And do you think that that's what they'll be looking for? I think that's probably their biggest gap at the moment, um, having someone that can control that midfield. The moment they lost Dembele, um, um, I think they've they've really struggled to to hold on to midfields, and he was a player that wasn't always on the pitch. So it's been a problem that they've needed to solve for quite a while now. And I think looking at the the profile of players that they're looking at, as you said, Dembele. He is one of those really, really good all-round midfielders. He he can defend, he can attack, he can hold onto the ball. You know, maybe not so attacking at the moment, but he's still so young, so that that can always be developed. But I think if they bring in a really, I think if if they spend the majority of their transfer budget on bringing in a central midfielder or even two central midfielders, you know, considering you're losing Ericsson, but at the very least, bringing in a central midfielder that is comfortable on the ball, that can help them gain a little bit more control in midfield and give them a bit more direction. Because I think the the Champions League final showed how how um, I know inept is such a, a a harsh word to use here, but they they struggled when they had so much possession. I think they expected not to have possession because they they're a team that can counter really well. But the moment you give them the ball and you you know you ask them to break you down, they don't necessarily have the composure. And if they bring in a central midfielder that's got that kind of composure, then maybe you know they could, they can kick on another level. 
No, I, I was one of the things that I think uh, makes a ton of sense for them is bringing in a player like a Dumbley who can hold and control an entire midfield. Uh, if you think about it, one of the things that they have as far as their players who do have like a bit of a physical presence in midfield is is, is a, a tremendous lack of quality. One of the things that Dembele had was even though I don't think he was necessarily the best player I've seen. He was impossible to take a ball off of. There's a bit of like a Genie Wijnaldum kind of thing in him where you can't take the ball from him. And I think that's really what Spurs miss because Suzoko, not a particularly awful ball carrier, but nowhere near what Dembele was. And then Eric Dyer, Victor, and Victor Wanyama and Harry Winks, none of them have the dynamism to really do that, at least on the ball. Now, Wanyama has the, the dynamism off ball to break up a lot of attacks, but he just hasn't played a lot. And there has to be some other, part of, partly injuries and partly there's got to be some other things that Pochettino probably just didn't trust about him after a while, even though he had him at Southampton too. So as a player, he knew. But I guess coming back to probably another player that, that Pochettino probably knows well is Giovanni Lo Celso, who, like Mauricio Pochettino is an Argentine midfielder playing in La Liga. So I guess the question is, do you think that, you know, Pochettino now uh, is tr- is trying to basically bring himself in? You'd imagine so. And I suppose at some point in time, Pochettino has got to be trusted to bring in the players that he thinks, um, you know, fit into his style. I'd, I'd, I'm still yet to see a signing that I can point to and really say yes that's a Pochettino signing and perhaps uh Lo Celso could be that player you know you you as, as we've mentioned you want that tidy midfielder coming in and he's not necessarily a player that will you know be be a highlight player for for fans of you know rival fans or people that aren't necessarily looking at leagues outside of the 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 English Premier League, but he's one of those players that could really come in as a clever signing, maybe fits into Spurs' budget a bit better in terms of not just transfer fee, but especially wages, because I think that's a big factor for Spurs at the moment, is controlling how much wages and who, you know, any player that they bring in, the amount of wages that they give them, you're expecting, you know, the likes of Deli Ali's, the Hurricanes to want to increase their wages accordingly. So bringing in a player like a Lo Celso maybe helps them a bit more in that, in that um, realm. I, I don't know if you, if you see that being a factor as well. I don't see it really being a factor. I think at some point for them, there's going to be a stick or twist moment within which they've got this new stadium and we have to start, you know, realizing the benefit of having a 60,000 seater, which is that we have far more match day revenue. We can start spending it. I think at this point, with knowing the amount of money that they're going to have from the Champions League, if they don't pack, if they don't pack Pochettino, uh, he'd be very justified in leaving. I mean, nobody wants a job like that where you've done that great a job and you don't get the reward of getting to try to push on and go to the next level there. Like that's what would cause them to leave would just be not backing him at this point. And I think if Lacelso and Ndombele are the two guys he has in the biggest positions that he probably has of need. You've just made a Champions League final. You're going to get a hundred million, you know, in revenue just from that TV money. You've got to spend it and cement your place. Like they're probably a little bit of a ways off from challenging us in City, but they can narrow the gap and make it, you know, uncomfortable for both teams. And, and they should. If, if I'm running Spurs, I absolutely do that this summer. You strike when the iron's hot. And, uh, that's actually a good time to maybe come into Liverpool for a little bit because, there's an article today in the Echo that says that Liverpool aren't looking to spend big this summer and are actually starting to look to scout for next summer instead. Um, I guess the question, and then, you know, comments such as Adam Alana saying that he's sticking around and he thinks that he's got a big part to play. And Jordan Shakiri saying that he, he wants to stick around. Uh, I guess on those points, wh- what do you, what do you think? Like, First off, do you think that we should be striking when the iron's hot? And do you even do you even buy that this is really a thing out there, or do you think that Liverpool's become so good at throwing people off their scent that they just will say anything and people will believe it? Yeah, I think first and foremost, could you think of a time where we've been more, especially in modern history, where we've been more, you know, more attractive to any player in world football and? You obviously put any player in inverted commas because you're not going to sign, you know, the Killian Mbappes of the world. 
but to the vast majority of players in world football, they've seen, you know, they've sort of tracked this Liverpool season because it's kind of hard not to track us. We're always on TV. You can see that by us getting the highest amount of, you know, TV revenue this year from the Premier League. And then you look at the run that we've had in the Champions League, the teams we've played against in the Champions League. So not necessarily if people are coming to watch the Liverpool specifically, they will be coming to watch maybe a Bayern Munich, a PSG, a Napoli, a, Bar- a Barcelona, and inevitably they end up seeing our team. So we've definitely had a lot of exposure this season, and we've been able to cap the season off with a great trophy. We've seen the parade that's happened. You can see there's a real buzz around the team, and I can just imagine there's a lot of players that are that are knocking on the door and really keen to come to us. Now, whether or not this whole Liverpool, it seems like it's a it's a trend with Liverpool, and maybe it's just a genuine model that we seem to use ever since FSG has come in, where we try and downplay as much as possible how much money we have or how many transfers we're looking to do, because all of that definitely affects how you go into negotiations and you know when you get to the boardroom level of doing the transfer business. If you know, if Liverpool are flaunting around that we've got two hundred million to spend, you can just imagine the first transfer you try and sign, the the other club already knows you have two hundred million. They're going to keep upping the price because they know you've got that money to spend. Whereas if we've already said, you know, and we can point to the likes of the Liverpool Echo and stuff like that, where we say we've already showed, we've already told the media we're not spending that much money. We're just trying to buy this player. Can you guys just lower the price a little bit? We, we don't have that much money. It, it does help with negotiation. So I think it's a negotiation tactic from Liverpool. I don't see how you can't improve from this, especially considering how close we came to the Premier League and knowing certain positions where we, we do definitely need to strengthen. I, I just don't see how you don't attack you know, at this crucial point in time, you're not going to have a Salah, Mane, Firmino front three for, you know, in, in five years' time, whether from age or just modern-day football players tend to move in and out. At this point in time, you've got a really strong squad. You just need a few final pieces and really go for it. Yeah, and I think I, I think I'm with you there because of the fact that I also, you know, I'm going to start talking about the two players I brought up. Adam Lallana is running into the last year of his deal at 31 years old. Um, I think keeping him after, you know, a player who is chronically unavailable after seeing Daniel Sturridge, a, a better, a much significantly, significantly better player by orders of magnitude in their prime for Liverpool. Um, you've seen what, you know, what kind of he contributed this season and it was in very dribs and drabs. It doesn't lead me to believe that we're going to see a lot from Adam Lallana next season because we haven't seen anything from him in two seasons. So I, you know, I think it's the type of thing where he's just, we're just telling him how much we value him and quietly he'll be shipped off because I think everybody knows that there's just not, that his body just can't hold up to do what Klopp wants it to do. And make no mistake, we play harder, tougher, and more physically than anybody right now in, in at least the Premier League and maybe in Europe. Um, Shakiri, I think absolutely is a player who it makes sense staying because you know what? He, he still has a ton of talent and he contributed when called upon. He just got called upon less towards the end of the season, but even then, when he, when, whenever we've needed him to produce something, he's been pretty good. Uh, it, it doesn't change, it doesn't change any of the needs for Liverpool though. And I, I still think that, you know, what we highlighted in our, in our last show, cause we don't need to revisit this extensively, is kind of what Liverpool need. They need an attacker, they need fullback cover, and they probably need a backup keeper. And on the point of the backup keeper, uh, because of the fact you'll assume Simon Mignola is going to get sold someplace where he can actually play, and he absolutely deserves it. He deserves it for being a really good soldier. He definitely deserves a move someplace. But we've been linked with uh, Matthew Etheridge of uh, Cardiff City, a recently regulated team. This would obviously be a backup position because there's currently no one in the world who can probably threaten Allison Becker's position as a starter. Uh, so, to deal with, what do we think there? I think it's going to be one of the hardest positions to probably fill because one of the drop-off, as as you said, from Allison, you know you're coming in as a guaranteed number two. Um, There's none of this, you know, when Carriers came in, there was the questions of who's going to be number one. The moment you you come into Liverpool as a goalkeeper at the moment, you're coming in as an understudy to Allison, And 
you know, whether or not a player that's been playing in the Premier League, albeit, you know, for a club that's just been relegated, whether he's willing to come and sit on the bench, you know, um, at 29 years old, he's entering the peak years of, of being a keeper's um, Etheridge. So I, I, I would question whether or not he feels he's got a lot more to give in terms of being a starter and, and maybe going to, because I think there, there are a lot of clubs in the Premier League that could use him as a first-team goalkeeper. So he might weigh that option up of, I could still be a first-team goalkeeper in the Premier League for another team than, you know, opposed to sitting on the bench for Liverpool. And then, so I think it will be interesting to see. Mignola, as you've said, has has been a credit to himself this season. He's really backed Alisson well, and it seems like he's helped him along, not just uh, in terms of being a cheerleader, but also you need someone that's helping you in training and keeping that competitive spirit going. Whether or not Mignola is going to, you know, get ahead of Alisson in the pecking order, it seems, it, it, it obviously is very unlikely but you still need guys that are training at a high level that are going to push you to be even better. So credit to him for that. But in terms of Etheridge, I'm not as confident that we'll be able to get him purely because I think he's got a lot more to offer as a first-team goalie for other teams. Yeah, I, I can see that. It does make sense, though, a recently relegated keeper as, as the backup for you know, arguably the best team in Europe at the moment. It's it doesn't seem like it would be that far fetched to me. But uh let's let's move on to another Liverpool player who helped us keep our sterling defensive reputation this season. And it's not so much a transfer because he's already here and long may he stay. Um Virgil van Dyke is rumored to want to extend his contract with Liverpool and I guess the question is not necessarily would you do it. It's just um how big a truck are you backing up with how much cash in the back or to do this? I think first and foremost, it's just smart play from his agent. It's, you know, you can see he's starting to be talked to, you know, about being in that conversation for, uh, Ballon d'Or. So if, if he's in that conversation and considering the season that Liverpool have had this season, be, you know, it's been heavily attributed to maybe not just him, but the defense as a whole and, and him, Alisson, Fabinho coming in. You know, he's played a really, really big part in, in rebuilding our, uh, one of our weakest points as a team. And that is being able to defend. So as an agent, I thought, I think it would be criminal if his agent didn't ask for a new deal. I think obviously it's something that he, him, his agent and the club will be able to come to an agreement on. You know, obviously, it's going to have to increase in terms of his base salary, maybe some incentives here and there. But I don't see it being a transfer, a contract negotiation where there's a clash between the two. It's more just agreeing how much more he's going to be paid. And as we said, the team is coming off a real buzz. Everyone's enjoying their football at the moment. So as long as Liverpool aren't trying to lowball him, I think that that deal can be sorted out relatively quickly. Yeah, I, I I agree, and uh, I guess I guess the last points on Liverpool is uh, the two departures that that have already been announced. Um, first one, Alberto Moreno, a player who I think um, definitely splits opinions within Liverpool. Um, Particular some some player some people see him as you know the defensive spawn of Satan. Some people see him as an invaluable member of the club who who. Despite the fact he doesn't play much, did, did occasionally have things to offer and was phenomenal as far as, uh, you know, in maintaining friendships with, uh, seemingly all the Brazilian players. Um, but the other map, the other one is obviously Daniel Sturridge, uh, 67 goals and 160 Liverpool appearances. A guy who would have been a, who at his peak started to show, you know, all the tendencies of a true world class forward, but the injuries just, uh, just did him in. I know that personally I, I have, you know, really kind of no opinion on Moreno. I'm glad that he won a European Cup for us and that he got, you know, a moment of redemption after, after what happened in Basel. Um, even if he, even if he didn't play, I think he's, he's kind of off the hook as far as our European finals go. As is Loris Carius, by the way, to me too. Um, there's, there's no ill will towards me to him. But then Daniel Sturridge, um, I think, I guess the real question is, is Daniel Sturridge a Liverpool legend? I'm going to say yes. Cool. That that that's a big call. 
Um, I I don't know if I can weigh in on the legend debate because with regards to Daniel Sturridge, I'm very biased. He's one of my favorite players um, ever in in world football, just stylistically. I I, I love how I, I, I'm going to disrupt you for one second, Tadewa. This, this is no this worries. is this is a podcast that you and I you and I co-host. Let the bias flow through. Be biased towards him. It's fantastic. <laughs> oh, okay. No, then then I'm, I'm definitely throwing him in the legends category, or at least just underneath the legends as, as one of the greats. Um, the stuff he he pulled off in in that thirteen fourteen season was next level. I mean, you know, it's just. Being able to keep up with the Luis Suarez in terms of gameplay, not many players can do that. Um, obviously, players can be dragged along by Luis Suarez, but I don't necessarily think that Sturridge was being dragged along at that point in time. They were playing off each other, which is completely different to being dragged off. And in that season, you could really then see the intelligence of the player, the cockiness of being, you know, that striker that's. You know, strikers have a certain arrogance to them about them, and and he seemed to exude that. And obviously, that arrogance, you know, in the media was played off in a very weird way. But we, we won't get into that. But I think it's just the only thing you can say with him is it's just such a shame that the injuries caught up with him, because he he had the trajectory of going on to be such a phenomenal, you know, player, just a, a, one of the the greatest ever. Premier League players in terms of just natural ability. He he seems to be one of the most naturally talented players we have in the squad. So even now with his injuries, you can still see moments where he's miles ahead of everyone else on the pitch in terms of just football IQ and football intelligence. So I, I wish him all the best. I really hope he gets to go to a club where he becomes the main man again because I, I think that's what... I think that's what hurt him the most at Liverpool was he was so used to being the main man or at least one of the main men to now being a bit part player. Look, with Albert, Alberto Moreno, I've never had a problem with him at all. And I, I thought he's been really hard done by in, in terms of the criticism that he's had. If you look at you know some of the defenders he's had to play with inside him on that left centre-back position, they've not helped him out at all. And, you know, some of the things that he gets, you know, lambasted for doing is some of the exact same things that, for example, and, and Andy Robertson does at the moment, whereas the difference is Andy Robinson has Virgil van Dijk in, inside of him and Moreno had, you know, some other defenders inside of him and then that cover is not necessarily there. But I think... Um, the rumors that, you know, Arsenal had been looking at him on a free transfer. If Arsenal stick to that, uh, three center backs thing, I think he could, he could do really well in a system like that where he doesn't have as much defensive responsibilities. And, you know, whether or not he stays in the UK, definitely if he heads back to Spain, I think he could, he could really do well and sort of revive his career again, if, if you can, if you can say that. Um, because he's still got, Really, really good attributes for a left back. Maybe not necessarily. He's in a still also like, team. He's still also like twenty five or twenty six. He's not. He's yeah. still quite young. Yeah, he's, he's he's still got quite a few years in him. And and as we said, from an attacking perspective, he, he's a very good um, centre back. I mean, he'll he'll be entering next season and uh, twenty seven years old. So he's definitely entering the peak years of of his career. So I think he can add value to any other team. It will be interesting to see how we replace him this season. I, I genuinely wouldn't have been fussed if if we had given him like a year or two extension purely because I didn't see him harming the team. And as you mentioned, vitally off the pitch, he he was so crucial to helping bed in some of the foreign talents, um, especially the South American uh, talents that were coming in. And that's always important at a club. Um, and maybe I can throw Sturridge in there as well in terms of some of the young black players that we've had come through. It seems like Sturridge has been sort of, inverted commas, the father figure for a lot of them. He 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 always has seemed to be the one to make sure everyone is okay, is settling well. And I think he's passed that baton on to Oxlade-Chamberlain um, now that Sturridge is gone. So it'll be interesting to see how Oxlade handles that. 
Yeah. So I guess I guess to wrap to wrap up this portion of it before we before we move out of the Liverpool Football Club again, what's your favorite Daniel Sturridge goal? Um, it would have to be. The, uh, could could you go first, and then I, I just want to get the exact team we played against. I think it's against West West Brom, but let me just get the team correct. It's the chip against West Brom that you're thinking of. Yes, it is. It is the chip against West Brom. Oh my word! That the audacity to do that, and the the intelligence, and just the arrogant. Like I said earlier, the arrogance of a striker that's in full flight, having the technique and the ability to pull that off. I, for me, it had everything that I've always loved about being a striker because I, I I played striker, um, you know, in my younger days and prevent. Um, for provincial level football, but he, I try to model my game so much to him because he can see everything on the pitch and everything seems so slow, so slow for him. And then also having that electric pace that he used to have where he could just leave defenders for dust and then have the intelligence to just dink it over the keeper. That for me, hands down, my favorite. Mine's the, mine's the, even though it was a game that we, that we lost and is quite painful. Um, it's the outside of the boot strike against uh, Sevilla in the, in the Europa League final. Just a pure, hammered, perfectly spun shot with the outside of the foot, and right. also just the intelligence to hit it, hit it like that. I mean, yeah. oh. he 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 was he was an incredible footballer, and I, I'm 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 glad that he got to lift a European Cup or you know a trophy because we we had gone set we had gone his entire the entire length of his career as a Liverpool player without a trophy, and I'm glad that the one that he got to lift as a Liverpool player is um, the, the biggest one in Europe. Uh, you know. It, it would I, if he had lifted a Premier League, I wouldn't be sell, you know Premier League trophy. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be upset about it either. But seeing Daniel Sturridge get to lift a real, real, real major trophy as a Liverpool player is something that I'm really, really, really happy that I got to see as a supporter, and really, really happy for him that it happened for him. Um, definitely a Liverpool legend to me. And I suppose it's it's also some sort of reward for you know it's it, it's like a parting gift for you know to say we. You know, people have downplayed the fact that he is one of the most prolific strikers we've ever had at the club. Um, yeah. Obviously, because of you know the the, the injuries and stuff. But like, if you just look at his numbers, he's been one of the most prolific and one of the best strikers we've ever had at the club. And just sort of as a to to have something to show for the time that he's been at Liverpool, he can always point to that Champions League medal, which is a good thing for me. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, 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 uh, I'm with you there. So let's, let's move back out of the Liverpool Football Club to, um, to the continent of Europe and Paris Saint Germain. A club that is, uh, often confusing. And they've, uh, they've said goodbye to a legend who actually, I, I think that at this point he's, I, I don't see where, where he goes after this because he, he seems like to me going to a small club just wouldn't fit, uh, this personality, but, uh, do you think this is it in European football for Gianluigi Buffon? I do. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear a retirement announcement at some point in time um, in the near future. I, I think maybe for him, he saw PSG as the, the potential place where he could win a Champions League. Um, obviously, so many years of heartbreak at Juve. I think he, he looked around Europe looked at the clubs that needed a goalkeeper and PSG seemed the most um, likely candidates, especially considering they were looking for a keeper and it just seemed to work out for him that way. But obviously, unfortunately for him, it didn't work out on the pitch in terms of getting that Champions League trophy. Um, I think if, if, he, if he wants a run, I, I, I don't know if he he's the type of player that will be interested in a run in the MLS or going to China or something like that. Um, do do you see him being a player like that? I I just don't. See I it don't him. see it. I don't. He, he at forty one, he's accomplished everything yet. Like, what's he gonna go do? Play for like? I could see Daniel Sturridge coming to MLS right now. Yeah, and I would immediately because I'm not a huge ML because I'm not a supporter of any one side. Would become an immediate supporter of whichever team he played for. But um, I I, I don't I don't see Buff, I don't see that for Buffon. Forty. He's forty one years old. He's at this point. The fact that Buffon it hasn't won a Champions League is not one of those things that anybody's going to be like, "Oh, well, you didn't win this, therefore you're not an all-time great." Like, 
He's won his league, God knows how many times. He won his domestic cup, God knows how many times. He won a World Cup. He's won a lot of Champions League games. He's won a lot of everything, individual and team awards. So if you if you it's like trying to use the Champions League to like it's like trying to use the fact that Steven Gerrard never won a Premier League as like a tarnish on his individual brilliance. It doesn't really work, right? Buffon's the best keeper I've ever seen. Apologies, Zeke Casillas. It's not you. It's Buffon. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it just there's nothing there's nothing else there that he needs to to prove. Yeah, I have to agree. And I can't envision that his bank account's hurting. No, no, not not in the slightest. Yeah, he's played twenty years in the uh, in, in the era where the salaries exploded, even in Syria. Like even in Syria, I'm pretty sure Juve is not playing. Uh, it's 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 marquee star players poorly. I'm still pretty sure they're getting paid very, very, very well. So, I think Buffon's probably uh, he's probably gonna leave now. I guess the real question about PSG is what did they do this summer? Because obviously the goal there is to win the Champions League. They have remained with Thomas Tuchel in charge. A rare moment of patience from a club that hasn't been patient about managers in a long time. I guess it really comes down to what can you possibly do if you're PSG to uh, to keep this together, knowing that first off, any sort of big spending is going to incur a lot of eyes, like like what's going on at City right now. I guess realistically, the only player that I could see them being usually linked with is going to be. Coutinho. Do you think that he um, he ends up at PSG? Yeah, I, I think he does. And I suppose the shame for him is if he goes to PSG, I could see how funny it would be if Neymar, let's say, goes back to Barcelona or something silly like that. It seems like he's constantly going to be chasing Neymar um, for the rest of his career, trying to get with his best friend to finally play together. Um, they've been friends since uh, the, the under 16s or under 17s in Brazil, and they've been wanting to play together for so many years. Obviously, at a club level, I mean. Um, and you know, when when the the talk of him going to Barcelona started, you know, it started back when he was in his in, at, at his Inter days, and Liverpool was sort of seen as a bridging club. I know fans don't like to hear that type of thing, but this is what happens with with these type of transfers where he knew he needed a club where he was going to be playing week in, week out, sort of under the eye of Barcelona where it's like a trial. Can you handle playing at a Liverpool? If you can handle it there, then maybe you could handle it at us and you need to be a star there and show that you can be the man. Then we'll see if we can bring you in. And in that, you know, over those years, Neymar has always been... Uh, one of the guys that has wanted to Barcelona to finally pull the trigger, bring my friend in, bring my friend in, bring my friend in. And then the season that he goes to Barcelona is sort of the season that Neymar leaves, which I thought was quite interesting considering how how much they've been advocating to play together. So I think maybe finally they do get to play together and PSG going in for him. But my, my worry is... Well, obviously PSG have an unlimited, um, unlimited checkbook, but can PSG go and get a Coutinho and still go get a really big goalkeeper? Do you, do you see that as a possibility? I guess the question is, what really big goalkeeper could they go get? Um, I can think of one. He clearly doesn't want to play where he is. His name is David De Gea. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I guess the question is, like, United are going to get... United are going to get kind of asset stripped this summer, right? Because you've got to figure Pogba is a target. Like, and Pogba could be a target for PSG, but I just don't see it. Um, you could see, I could see Pogba going back to Juve, although I don't think Juve can afford him. Um, they're going to get, United's going to get asset stripped, but they're going to try to get as much money as they can for it. And that, which they'll reinvest poor, manifestly poorly because that's just how they're run as a club right now. But, um, I could see De Gea going there. And if I'm PSG, I'd rather sign De Gea than I'd rather than Coutinho. Um, I think Philip Coutinho is a luxury player to a lot of teams right now. Uh, it, it's to him, it's the fact that you've seen one team sell him and get exponentially better is really kind of it's kind of funny. It's a bit of a slap in the face, but it's pretty funny. Yeah, and and I think that's a good point in terms of one or the other, especially when you're talking about De Gea, who 
still is, you know, in that conversation, if not the best keeper in the world at the moment. And, you know, despite... Despite the fact that he shouldn't be there. Yeah, and also, you know, just the... Maybe the lack of motivation that he had this season. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious, and I think it's safe to say that he's wanted that Real Madrid move for quite a few years. His girlfriend stays in... In, in Madrid, uh, I'm, I'm not sure she's moved to Manchester now, but by, by now, but you know, going off of last season at, at the very least, she was still in Madrid and it was just causing so much mayhem for him for that relationship. And then also the whole of his family is in Madrid. He felt very isolated at Man United. He knew that Madrid were going to come in for him the moment Casillas left and, you know, maybe Kaylan Navas came in as a bridging gap. But at some point, he always thought, you know, I'm going to end up being the Real Madrid goalkeeper. And then that gets taken away from him, you know. Um, and you could see the season, he just didn't seem interested at all. So whether or not United just think we might as well just cut our losses and get, you know, big money for him from PSG, I think that might end up working better for them because you'd rather have, a, 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 a um, you know, the money in the bank and try and go and, Replace them. Obviously, as as you've mentioned, United, the way they handle signings, they're they're definitely a Hollywood club. So it it will be interesting to see how they do it. But logically, you'd think you'd want a world class goalkeeper that's motivated and wants to be at your club than necessarily the best goalkeeper in the world that doesn't really care about being at your club anymore. Yeah, and. To David De Gea, I've got to tell you, if a woman stays with you for as long as you've been in Manchester and doesn't move from Madrid, that's a sign that you need to put a ring on it, dude. <laughs> like that's that that to me is a sign of the fact that you you you've got to make a a form of commitment to to her. But uh, maybe that commitment was to get to Madrid, and she he just couldn't follow through on it because of the fact that Manchester United still rely on the use of fax machines rather than you know the scan and email approach, which is. A significantly more business-friendly method of going forward, but no, I, guess... I think I think that was on purpose. Of course, it because was because there's there's no way Mourinho was coming into Man United the season without that David they lose. Yeah, without David De Gea, he was him staying was part of the agreement for Mourinho coming. And you know, I, even whilst Mourinho was there, and there was no way he was going to let him go. Maybe an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer could get away with getting him, um, letting him go purely because he seems to have that much, you know, lenience with a lot of the fans and the club and because he's a club legend. But no other manager, I don't think, at Man United will be forgiven for letting De Gea go. But they would, you can see fans trying to justify selling De Gea now purely because it's Oli, you know, at the wheel. Yeah. Well, I hope Ole Gunnar uh reign as Manchester United manager goes as well as Graham Sunes as his Liverpool manager. <laughs> Uh, but I, I think basically we've, we've kind of come to the, uh, the, the, the end of probably what we need to speak about this week. Uh, there's plenty more, obviously, clubs not covered this week in the Premier League were Chelsea, Manchester City, and, uh, Arsenal, as well as basically the bottom 14. But actually, dude, before we do go, there is one Manchester City related rumor that I want to know between a scale of, um, you know, God, I hope this is true, to please let this be true, to, oh my God, this is true, uh, please, you know, please let this be true. Basically, I haven't really given you many options. Um, but if Leroy Sané is sold away from Manchester City and into Germany, how big a sigh of relief would you breathe? I mean, considering how close we were to signing him, it, he'll always be a player that will irritate me, you know, like watching him play for City will always irritate me, so I, I, I really do hope he ends up at, at Bayern Munich just, just to get that itch off. Um, he's such a phenomenal player, criminally underused at Man City, but obviously with the riches they have, it's, it's, it's understandable why, why he's un, under, underused, uh, underutilized. But yeah, um, it seems like all the German players are, are, are getting scared of uh, – it's, it's almost like they've been told you know, there's now a local rule where if you're playing outside of Germany, you're not necessarily going to automatically get into the German national team. And I think that's when you look at, you know, the Gillian Brands deciding to stay. 
maybe it becomes a lot harder to try and get a Kai Havertz out of Leverkusen. Um, and then obviously this this is the rumbling that started the Sane move, uh, you know, want, him wanting to to move back to Germany. So it will be interesting to see how how many German players do get their move back to Germany and whether or not people can prize some of the young German talent away from the Bundesliga this this transfer window. Yeah, it should be interesting. But basically, if if I have to see Leroy Sane any Sane any any place. I'd love it to be in, in a Liverpool shirt, but if I do have to see him any place besides that, I'd prefer it not be in the Premier League where I have to see him beat me God knows how many times. He's killed us. Leroy yeah. Sané has killed us. Right? He is right now probably the arch Liverpool killer of any player in the Premier League. And it's always interesting that they're still, still, you know, hell bent on playing Sterling every time against us where he seems to never have a good day. De- good game against us, whereas Sané always seems to destroy us. Yeah, Sterling rips the heart out of every other team against the, in the Premier League, but like right now, we're like the boogie team in his mind. If you look at Sané, I mean, scored two against us in the 5-0 after Mane was sent off. Um, to be fair to him, and nobody did anything to the, to us in the uh, in the two games that occurred after that last season, in the three games that occurred after that last season. But then this season comes off the bench and rips us apart in a title decider. I can't see him go fast enough. Don't think it's going to be true. Think he'll end up staying because I think actually he might be that player who's too talented and already outside Germany to test this uh this national team thing that Joachim Lowe is trying to trying to get going. Yeah, I, I was just crossing our fingers, I hope. Yeah, I mean, look, I I, I wish him the most success possible at Bayern Munich, and I hope it. I hope it happens. Uh, I think sorry, so. That's it for this week. Um, we'll probably be back to you guys actually sooner rather than later th- in the course of uh, this window because uh, you know we're we're now here every single week until uh, until August. So uh, six times we won it. Six times in Madrid we've won it six times. Let's talk about six, baby. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys, and we'll be back at you soon. Network.